Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Average Film Enjoyer podcast, where your average film enjoyers, Jagger, Evan, and Trey. Uh, Today, we are going to be discussing a few things. We are going to be discussing Doctor Strange Love, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Spotlight. Um, But as a way to preface the episode off, um, I could firmly state that I'm stepping down as host of the Average Film Enjoyer podcast. Now, this is not going to be the last you see of me. I will still be here guest hosting on some things. Um, But if it makes it uh, remotely clear in the background, (laughs) I have gone and started my own podcast, Fourth Wall Film Talk. Um, I do suggest you check it out. We have one episode out currently about American fiction. This Friday, we are going to be covering uh, Anatomy of a Fall. But... We recommend you check that out, but don't leave here. This is still here. The average film enjoyer is not going anywhere, except I am not going to be here as much. Hopefully you can join us for the, the last two Kubrick episodes, because yeah, I know got, you love Eyes Wide we're, Shut, we're gonna, so... You're going to come we gotta, back for Eyes Wide Shut, for sure. Jagger, you and me need to glaze Eyes Wide Shut for like an hour straight, because it's oh. a perfect film. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's... We're very ha- we're very proud of Jagger, uh, yeah. kind of going off doing his own thing, um, bigger and better things. Um, it's obviously very sad um, because even before I was here, uh, this was Jagger's podcast. The average, I mean, you can go back to the early episodes, and it's really just Jagger talking yeah. to himself um, with Owen on there once in a while. Um, <laughs> but then. Yeah, it's just, it's sad, you know, because me and Jagger, I mean, we, there's been a lot of great moments the past year, um, (laughs) anywhere from uh, the uh, possible creation of the above average film enjoyer to (laughs) multiple apologies to Jagger's grandfather for saying things on the podcast that aren't exactly PG, Uh, (laughs) uh, to the absolute hell that was October of 2023. Uh, quick story time. So we haven't really talked about this on the pod. Um, we know you guys, our listeners, loved Hooptober. Uh, we came out with an episode every day, and then Tuesdays and Fridays we were coming out with two episodes during that day. Um, that was terrible. Me and Jagger were miserable. We, I, I don't think... I I had not been more stressed. <laughs> we we got like the the end of the month I th- I think I remember wasn't terrible, but the first like week we got so behind because at that point I hadn't learned how to do editing, I hadn't learned how to upload stuff, I hadn't learned any of that. So Jagger was doing everything along with creating individual merch for every single episode. Um, and it was like four or five days in and I was like, Hey man, we're supposed to have these episodes coming out today. I don't know. Take your time, whatever. And Jagger, you called me and we're like, dude, I'm so stressed. I don't know what to do. There's so much we're supposed to do. And I was like, teach me how to edit. And we like, we sat there for an hour and we like scheduled everything. Like we need to watch these movies by then and record this, this, and this, and this that day. And, uh, I just I and but it was very fun. Um, so luckily Trey has been teaching me slowly how to edit. So 
Yeah. If you want to uh, see Hooptober next year, or yeah. sorry, this year. Yeah, we'll definitely bring Jagger back on <clears throat> for a few Hooptober episodes. Yeah. Uh, I'm all about watching shitty horror movies, so. Yeah, dude. We have to watch some shitty ones. Yeah. I mean, I watched the entire Hellraiser, Hellraiser franchise. and There's some rough watches in there. There's like five. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, Jagger, is there anything you want to say um, as far as like memories you've made or things i don't know before we get into our regular episode agenda best moments on the average film enjoyer podcast i mean where to start i think some of our best moments got cut from the final cut of the episode (laughs) um fair enough (laughs) i feel as though a lot of them were cut for a reason uh but as far as moments that made the final cut that are discussable uh (laughs) I feel like if you just go back to even before you came on, if you look back at that first episode I ever released, it was 90 minutes long of me talking about my favorite, my 15 favorite movies at the time. Now it was like Fight Club, Super Bad, Taxi Driver. Bro was the film, bro. <laughs> I was just learning what film was all about. And I feel like my favorite thing about the Average Film Enjoyer podcast is my ability to track my progression of film. I think my... Oh, hold on one second. Oh, don't worry. He went from distinguished film bro to... (laughs) It's two step forward, one (laughs) One step forward, two steps back, because we've had some illness. Yeah, and I think my ability to track my progression from, like, just learning, like, this is this kind of movie. and then That's a really cool feeling. I wish I had that. Yeah. I remember the first moment that I watched, like, a crazy foreign film. Um, I watched La Haine. Um, Sorry, to cut you off, I really don't mean to. Jagger, did you see that Criterion will be releasing a 4K of Criterion in April? Of uh, Lahane. Okay. Of Lahane. Yeah. No, I did not. If you yeah. look right there, is the it cover? Anything? Yeah, Lahane is right there. Um, so yeah, look out in April. I believe it's April. Uh, buy that shit because Lahane in 4K would be crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, Lahane. No, I got this one. I can. On a vacation, I decided I would take up foreign films because I had seen people on TikTok talking about them. Shout out Seth. Uh, yes. I watched, I think it was La Haine, 400 Blows, Funny Games, like Parasite, in like one big chunk. God, a major over, peak. What do you have the 400 one, Blows at? I'm really curious. I have the 400 Blows and 100 out of 100. I genuinely don't think there's a single okay. flaw. Gotcha. Um, and I think that was over the span of like a month. And since then, I've discovered a lot of great things. I discovered Wong Kar Wai. I've discovered Park Chan Wook a little bit. Bong Joon Ho. And I think that my ability to see where I am now, having seen everything, and learning what kind of films I like. Because, I mean, if you look at my top 100, you have everything from, like, God, I don't know, Parasite, Chunking Express, Basket Case. Like five, nights f- <laughs> five, five Nights at Freddy's. Five Nights at Freddy's. Sorry, I, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Um, A Night at the Roxbury is on there. I've Dude, got a lot of... oh, do you mind if I drop a really quick story about Night at the Roxbury? Oh, sure. Good. So when I was a kid, I had a little DVD player for road trips. Blades of Glory was the one movie I would watch time and time again. And before Blades, Blades of, of Glory, they played a Will Ferrell showcase. It was old school, Anchorman, Night at the Roxbury, all these movies. And I was like, shit, man, I can't wait till I'm old enough to watch these. Because I was like, my parents were a bit strict with that. Mm-hmm. I finally watched that movie. I was blown away. Just so much fun. Like, yeah. yeah. I remember this of... Will, Will Ferrell like, trailer reel so well. Yeah. It's one of the just... few movies that have been adapted from SNL sketches that is that's actually an SNL been sketch. Yeah, yeah. there that's I had like no a idea. part of that whole universe where there's a oh. bunch of movies that have been adapted from like <laughs> Wayne's World. Wayne's World was yeah, originally an one. SNL sketch. That's probably the oh, best that's... one. And it's peak. Um yeah, Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Amazing. Uh and I just rated old school today. I just watched that one again. Oh god. Yeah. You're yeah. my boy blue. <laughs> god. I remember so the day. I really okay. I feel bad cutting Jagger off. No, I need to drop a little story about old school. We owned this movie on DVD when I was a kid. I'm old. I'm 24 years old. We had DVDs (laughs) back in the day. Um, and I would go and look through the DVD drawer, and I see it old school. My parents were like, "No, you can't watch it. You're not old enough." And one day, I stayed home sick from school. My mom goes, "Let's watch old school," and I was like. Are you serious? It's time. It's finally time. I'm ready. So much fun. I that think it cured my wild, I think dude. it cured my sickness watching old school. Watching wild. the boys flop around in the jello pool <laughs> streaking. <laughs> cured it cuz old school was also in that Will Ferrell reel and I the only thing I'd seen from that movie was Will Ferrell going, "We're going streaking." Like, that's all I'd seen. <laughs> and I was like, I need to watch this movie. And the day I watched Old School will go down in history. Like, that's a classic. Yeah. Sorry. I think I, that's Will. I think that's the only role where I find Will Ferrell truly funny. Oh, we're going to talk about this later. But yeah. Let's let Jagger uh, finish. We'll talk about Will Ferrell later. Um, yeah, I think just seeing the diversity that I've grown and the film maturity, if I will. And my ability to sort of understand good film, bad yeah. film, understand layers of film. Um, I feel like I would just like to thank a few directors that have really brought me on this journey. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, who we'll get further in him today. Uh, I would like to thank David Lynch. Um, I could go David Cronenberg. Uh, like I said, Park Chan-wook, Bong Joon-ho, Wong Kar-wai. All of these people are people that whether you are new to film or have been in film a while, it's just something that you have, it's like maybe a blind spot, whatever it may be. Maybe you've seen them already. They're all due for a rewatch. So I suggest if you want to start your film journey, don't listen to what other people say and say, start with one director and then go to another one. Don't do that. Diversify as fast as you're able to, because then you will quickly learn what you like. And then that will help you branch out into a life. And <clears throat> Absolutely. One that thing I would amazing. love to ask you guys, what's the film that got you into film? Not watching movies for fun. What's the movie oh. that made you appreciate what um, a movie can be? 
and what a no yeah. country for old men by the coen brothers love it i remember where i was when i saw this for the first time i was in rehab i was probably a week sober um and i was just really struggling and some of the guys were like hey we want to do a movie night tonight and i was like all right i'm down um and i i had like I I just had enjoyed watching movies, but I hadn't really like gotten into cinema. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but like, you always I, feel like a film bro saying, "Oh yeah, I switched from movies to film or cinema." Yeah, but it, uh, there, yeah. But I remember watching No Country and just being, and I remember after that, I averaged like three or four movies every day, just searching for like that same feeling that that movie yeah. gave me, just absolute. Because I mean that film is perfect. It's so good. It is, yeah. Um, that's one for me, Jagger. What about you? What's the yeah? One I'm really curious to see what Jagger's it? is because like I was probably around Jagger's age, maybe a little older when this click happened for me. Mm -hmm. And I'll get into it after Jagger, but yeah. it's kind of a crazy moment when you I've hit kinda... that that wall where it's like, wow. Yeah. I've got a real four way split. Um, because in December of 22, um, someone at school said to me, they said, there's two movies you need to watch. And those two movies were The Perks of Being a Wallflower and Pete. Fight Club. And I think <laughs> that is a crazy, <laughs> crazy split. <laughs> but let's let's get into it. And I think when I watched those two, because I watched those two in one day. So that I had like a topic of conversation to talk about. Yeah. And after watching those, something sort of clicked for me. But then again, it still wasn't really a click. Mm -hmm. um, and after watching those, I start started to want to watch more movies. Um, but not to the point that the other two did. Uh, at the end of the month, I watched The Ref. Christmas movie. Sort of like a comedy. Um, mm -hmm. And that movie really hit a uh, nerve for me because it made me laugh harder than any movie really ever had. And then that day was the day I downloaded Letterboxd. I logged the ref and I gave it four stars because again, I still didn't really understand it. And in my mind, I, number one, I didn't know you could give half star ratings yet. And I sort of figured that out like an hour later. And also I thought five stars had to be a perfect movie. Um, and then on New Year's Eve, the ball dropped, and I think it was 10 minutes later, my brother said, hey, I want to watch American Psycho. It's really popular on TikTok. Now, this was at that time uh, when American Psycho was at its peak popularity online, and I said, I mean, I guess, sure. So we rented it on Amazon Prime, um, and we watched it. And right after that movie was over. I mean, what time is that then? I think it's around 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's about yeah. 2 hours ago. Yeah. After it was over, I knew I wanted to watch movies. And then I think the next day I watched two movies on New Year's Day. And you can look. I think there was only one day or like in between one and five days for the rest of the year that I did not watch a movie. And I thank American Psycho wholeheartedly. What was the fourth movie? Uh, the fourth movie was American Psycho because it was Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, yeah. The Raph and American Psycho. Oh, The Raph, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And, yeah. yeah, American um, Psycho's phenomenal. Oh, 
the movie that got me into actual film work, though, um, I mean, the first short film I made was Serenity. Uh, and the film that inspired Serenity for me, it was sort of a blend between... No, I think it was The Wizard of Oz. Nerd. Because, what? Um, in The Wizard of Did Oz, you... there's a transitional moment where it goes from black and white to color. And I saw that and I said, oh my god. That's beautiful. And then I think I watched Chunking Express around that time. And that was sort of the movie that made me go, oh, peace is the, the real thing that if you center a film around it, you can really do the most with it. And you can really accentuate peace in a manner that can be very, very interesting to the eye. And it is something that humans search for. People search for it for a whole lifetime. They search for a state of complete peace. And I think mixing the black and white to color concept and using it as something representative of finding that piece, that really resonated with me. And then that's when I put it to screen. I was really proud of that. Love that. And that's where Serenity came from. I want to ask you, Jagger, really quick. <clears throat> for Wong Kar Wai, I actually got in the mood for love in my Real Talk raffle this week. How would you rank In the Mood for Love, Chunking Express, and Fallen Angels? Okay, I haven't logged In the Mood for Love yet, but I have watched it. Because I mm -hmm. have the Wong Kar Wai, uh, World of Wong Kar Wai box set, Criterion. Yeah. Um, and I've seen almost all of them now. Uh, yeah. But I, I haven't logged them all. How would I rank them? Have you seen Fallen Angels? I've seen Fallen Angels and Chunking Express, but I haven't seen In, in the Mood for Love yet. It's not really fair to put Chunking Express anywhere in my ranking because it is my number one film of all time. That's fair. Um, but I do think that that's quite obviously my number one. I think I had a 98 or 99 out of 100. Yeah. I hold Fallen Angels. I think Fallen Angels is an absolute masterpiece in every okay. sense of the word. Um, and I think double featuring Chunky Express and Fallen Angels is only right. That's what I seen, did. I don't know if you've seen the commentary that Quentin Tarantino did about Chunky Express. No, I haven't. Um, you, I'm assuming you were aware fallen angels was supposed to be something that was yes i was it was supposed to be the third act and that or the third part of chunking express and he was like nah i'm gonna split this into two movies because one car why wanted to keep his movies short and more than <clears throat> which that, i love more than that i had heard one car why absolutely fell in love with fallen angels once he started making that story okay and he wanted to give it his own its own film um so sort of split but I do personally connect more with the weird sort of serene ethereal vibe that comes with Chunking Express. Yep. So for me, it's Chunking Express, number one, number two, mm -hmm. Fallen Angels, number three, and The Mood for Love. And The Mood for Love gotcha. is probably a good four and a half, though. So not bad. That's what I have Fallen Angels at. So I have Ch Chunking Express is an immaculate movie. <laughs> when I finished watching Chunking Express, I listened to California Dreamin' daily multiple times a day because i was just thinking of watching somebody clean their house listening to california dreaming and the most immaculate vibes like one car y is just the master of vibes and he he crafts these love stories that are so interesting and so human yeah yeah i'll tell you what okay. when i finished oh i was gonna say when i finished yeah go for it when I finished Chunking Express, I rewatched Chunking Express <laughs> yeah. just to recapture it. I don't blame you. It's really, really awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. I would love to talk about the film that got me into film. 
Yes. My parents weren't super into like film, but my grandma was, and she would come, you know, babysit when I was younger. And we watched a lot of really cool movies. We watched uh, Blue Ruin from Macon Macon Blair. He did Green Room. I adore that. We watched this movie. I don't remember the title, but it was about a like this Washington shooter that like groomed a kid to go kill a bunch of people with him. Jesus Mud. Christ. Like we we watched these very slow burn dramas all the time. And yeah. one day we come across the master from Paul Thomas Anderson. Ooh. This was my favorite movie for years. It has it dawned on me watching this movie what cinematography can be what a score can be first of all shout out to johnny greenwood the goat (laughs) the guitar player from radiohead shout out radiohead two tattoos yeah baby johnny greenwood is a fucking master at making film scores and he is so underrated he does a lot of paul thomas anderson scores this movie blew me away walking phoenix's performance was mesmerizing and just the shots in this film are insane and the processing scene between philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix and it's like this interview and it's very odd and joaquin phoenix isn't allowed to blink it's intense this was the first show of acting powerhouse acting that i ever witnessed and this movie just blew me away mm-hmm. i was astounded the prison scene like it's and it there's scenes where they're riding dirt bikes in the desert it's beautiful it's perfectly acted yeah <clears throat> so for me it's the master and that shot me into <laughs> finding films that could replicate this one i really want to shout out really quick before i move on is you were never really here, the Walking Phoenix film. Oh my god, dude! That's this. Like, that's like Sound of Freedom. If Sound of Freedom was actually good, yes, dude, that yeah, would be so good. It it hit those moments that I appreciate so much about the Master. Shot for shot, it's not as good as the Master, but it hit those points so well. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, so <laughs> thank you, Walking Phoenix. And Paul Thomas Anderson and Philip Seymour Hoffman shout out Mission Impossible <laughs> Three, peak as fuck. Uh, yeah. So the master. I know a lot yeah. of people think this movie is mega boring. <clears throat> I will defend it till I die. Yeah. Yeah. So the master is it for me. Yeah. Just a few honorable mentions from me, if I may. Just to thank the movies that I put up, sort of to surround me. Um, I don't know if you guys can see over on that side. Uh, I've got La Haine, Punch Drunk Love, and Pulp Fiction. Um, all of them are movies that impacted me in a big way and other movies that impacted me in a big way. Taxi Driver and Parasite, I feel like those are essential cinema now, especially in the current state of how people view cinema. And also Old Boy. Uh, I know I've hated on it a little bit before, but I mean... You did? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, he's gone back and forth on Old Boy. I don't like um, that. I would just like to say <laughs> don't like that. <clears throat> if watched under the right conditions, I believe that this could be considered the greatest film of all time, and I wouldn't fight you. Is no. Pulp Fiction your favorite Tarantino? Yes. Because me, you, sorry, Jagger, you and me haven't had like super deep thoughts or like 
chats on our favorite movies. That's cool. I I love Pulp Fiction. What's your number one Tarantino, Evan? Mine is Django. Yeah, that's Django is good. Django is perfect. Django. That's that's my number two. It's what is your number one? Pulp Fiction. Oh. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is near the bottom of Tarantino's rankings for me. What? Yeah, let me pull up my Tarantino ranking. Let's let's get into it really quick before we go to two thousand one. You know what? Here's a hot take for me. Uh, Inglorious Bastards near the bottom for me. Oh, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, if I may, I mean, I've only got fourteen perfect films ever, and my (laughs) fourteen are. Chunky Express, Perks of Being a Wallflower, Evil Dead 2, The Warriors, Clockwork Orange, Pulp Fiction, Man on the Moon, 400 Blows, all that jazz. God, dude, 400 Blows is so overrated. It's a 4.5? People glaze this movie so fucking hard. It's a 4.5. It's really, really, really good. It has an amazing ending. It's overrated. It's really, really good. It's that not a five. Be, it's overrated. I'm gonna be getting the hot takes from Jagger, but yeah, no, not. I'm dropping them. Then the Tarantino ranking is coming. But yeah, the 400 blows. I watched this movie in a insane peak. I was watching Billy Wilder, Sunset Boulevard. I like double featured. Oh shit! I need to step away for like two seconds. You guys talk about how good Pulp Fiction is. I'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, if I may, Pulp Fiction though. is immaculate. It's 400 blows. Trey, I don't know about you. 400 blows make made me sob. Yeah, I mean, I, I can appreciate why it's so good. I have it at a four and a half as well, but like, I'm not like it's overrated. I think it's amazing. Um, oh, just but I would like to say I've been a lot more lenient with how I rate movies. Like, if I think a movie's perfect, I'm not going to let anything stop me. Yeah. Um. So I have two movies from last year as perfect. Let me guess. Mm-hmm. Anatomy of the Fall. Yeah. And the holdovers. And I'm going to fall in Saltburn. Saltburn? I'm back to shit on the 400 blows. Oh, well, in the meantime... Well, not shit on it, but... Okay. What are Um, are my perfect films? My perfect films, I've only given six. A perfect 100 out of 100. And that's La La Land. um, About Time with Dom Hall Gleason and Bill Nighy and Rachel McAdams. um, Oppenheimer. The Exorcist. The Shining... And the deer hunter. Ooh, the deer hunter. Nice shout. Love it. Um, Evan, you might agree with me on this one because I was just saying this to Trey. I yeah. have been a lot more lenient with my perfect ratings. So recently I have Raging Bull at 100 out of 100, Blowout 100, Anatomy of a Fall 100, and Saltburn 100. Do you have Saltburn at 100? I respect yeah. it because I love Saltburn and I fucking love Barry Keoghan. Yeah. Um, Anatomy of a Fall, I, I don't know. I don't even think it's the best foreign film of the year, but I do love Anatomy of a Fall. It's probably yeah. in that 95 range. I think Past Lives is better, but... <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well... Um, let me really quickly talk about my Tarantino ranking. Yes, go ahead. Let's hear it. Here it is. I haven't seen Jackie Brown, and I haven't seen road or death proof whatever it is oh i haven't seen jackie brown or kill bill too this is okay so number one Django unchained it's perfect it is perfect the best performances tarantino has ever produced the best soundtrack the best violence the violence is crazy in this movie it is the funniest tarantino movie i will die on that hill number two inglorious bastards 
one of the best war movies ever made. Brad Pitt cooked so freaking hard in this movie. Right. Number three, potential hot take, Reservoir Dogs. Really? Reservoir yeah, Dogs is immaculate. A single a location time. thriller where every performance is perfect. It has a fantastic plot twist. Yeah, Michael I think Madison Reservoir Dogs is, is phenomenal. In that movie. Yeah, this Reservoir Dogs is phenomenal. Number four, okay. Kill Bill Volume One. It's right. it's peak. It's so peak. God. All right. Number five, The Hateful Eight. Above Once w. Upon a Time I in Hollywood. That's. I, I think that's a W. That. I think I, I Hateful Eight to my top five. Yeah. Top what? Above. Yeah, my no, my no. top. I'm not gonna do a whole <laughs> breakdown, but I'm Pulp Fiction at number one. And then Django, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then Hateful Eight, and then Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Hateful Eight is bottom tier Tarantino. That's fucked. That's crazy. It's it's definitely different than what he usually does. It 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 plays out more like a play, but I do yeah. really love it. I I think Tarantino in these single location movies thrives because he is so good at writing dialogue it's extremely entertaining for the first part so the pacing in his movies is never an issue i don't think he has a movie that is boring or slow they're long most of his movies are long but the pacing is so good because he's so good at writing dialogue okay well if we're talking about tarantino dialogue then that puts death proof at least two spots over hatefully oh I haven't seen it, but that's crazy. That is so crazy. That's not even only his movie. Didn't Robert Rodriguez make like half of it? Yeah, but Robert Rodriguez is awesome. Have you not no, seen Planet Robert Terror? Robert Rodriguez made... I've only seen Sin City. He didn't oh. do uh, Death Proof. That was full Tarantino. Oh, Planet Terror okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, The Hateful Eight is sick. Also, crazy. Crazy. I play the guitar. They borrowed... A guitar from the, I believe, Smithsonian or a very famous museum for this movie when Daisy Domergue smashes it. You remember that scene? Kurt Russell's guitar? Yeah. It was like a $50,000 guitar. And so the reaction of that scene is genuine because Kurt Russell didn't know that she was going to do that. Yeah. Extremely expensive guitar that they rented from a fucking museum. Uh, number six, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's peak. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little too long. But it's awesome. It's really, really good. Yeah, I think it's very entertaining. Margot Qualley is my goat. Put her in more movies. Margot Robbie's slightly underused, but it's really good. Number seven, Pulp Fiction, Overglazed, four star. That's there's crazy. no Tarantino. Also, my top my top six is four point fives, and then Pulp Fiction's a four star. Okay, I'm sorry. The there's no Tarantino film more well made. The camera angles, the camera lenses used, if you look, he uses Django. a split diopter in multiple situations. Split diopters have not yeah, really been Brian, popularized. Brian De Palma does it better, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Brian De Palma does it better, but that doesn't mean that it's not good. I think that realistically, Pulp Fiction is a perfect film on a lot of technical regards. But if you're looking at it from an entertainment standpoint, and I mean, I don't know how you digest film, what lens you view it through, everyone views film through a different lens. Yeah. I think looking at it from a technical acting, all of that lens, Pulp Fiction really does not have any flaws. It's, okay. So, I am ranking the first five movies in my Tarantino list based on how much I like them. 
if I was basing them on entertainment standpoint, Pulp Fiction would still be seventh. I would rather watch all six of those other movies before I bought Pulp Pulp Fiction again. And I'm serious. I Django fucking clears Pulp Fiction. It's crazy. I can't handle this right now. We need okay, to move on. Number this eight, is Kill Bill Volume 2. It's way worse than the first one. That's all I have to say about it. I can't believe that our episode about Stanley Kubrick has turned into a Pulp Fiction glaze oh, sesh. But... My chair went down. Uh, oh, anyway, that's all go. I have to say. Django Unchained okay. is perfect. Let's let's move on. Let's get into it. This movie Pulp news. Hating. Um, let's... I mean... So 2001, um, oh. that is going to be the first one we're reviewing today. Um, 2000, sorry, I'm you, damn it, Evan. What? I can't think. You can't. Are we doing movie news or? No, no, we're skipping movie news today. Uh, there's not too much that happened. Wait, what did week. I do? Your Pulp Fiction takes. <laughs> I yeah, haven't dude, seen it since I was like, like 15, so maybe I'll rewatch. I literally haven't I'm, seen it since I was 15, and I've only dude, seen it once. I'm like disgruntled right now. That's the only I've word o- that I can use. I've to only seen it once, and uh, yeah, I was like 15 when I saw it. It's, I remember I saw on my Facebook because when I first watched it, I posted on my Facebook Pulp Fiction. Holy shit! I'll find the Facebook post, but it was like when I was 15 or 16. So yeah, I need, need to rewatch, re-watch. it. You I've only seen it once. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 2001 so, Space Odyssey. It's really good. Not, not too much happened in movie news this week. Critics choice happened. Uh, Oppenheimer we'll sweeps. No, no surprise there. Divine Joy Randolph won for holdovers. The bear and um, succession sweep the TV area. Yep. Uh, everything that you would expect. So we're going to skip uh, movie news for today. Uh, Please, very quick shout out to Better Call Saul. Rest in peace. Zero Emmy wins in yeah, 53 crazy. nominations. It's That's better crazy. than Breaking Bad. Oh, okay. 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 Better than Breaking Bad. 2001 oh. A Space Odyssey. Let's get into it. There's no Dude, discussion. You There's no discussion. You, you can't just drop these fucking <laughs> bombs and then be like, let's move on. Okay, let's spend two minutes talking about no, Better Call Saul. I, just don't. Oh, it is better than Breaking Bad. Okay, Trey. Now that Jagger's in on it, Better Call Saul has better character arcs than Breaking Bad. The character arcs on every single character are better than Breaking Bad. You're crazy. This the is only like, are we in Twilight Zone, dude. Mike in Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. It's crazy. Season three, when Mike has to go out and spoiler alert, shoot that poor German guy in the face, and he's like, "The stars are so pretty at night." That scene is perfect. Better Call Saul has better character development, therefore, dude. it's better. Yeah, okay. Better Call Saul is a better pilot. I'd fight for that one too. I, I feel maybe. like I feel like Charles Grodin and Beethoven right now. I feel like I'm about to have a brain aneurysm. Uh, okay, yeah, no movie news today. Uh, there are apparently some extremely rancid takes in this podcast. Yeah, just uh, yours. We my last again, episode without some. Um, yeah. Oh, one thing I did want to. There was something we talked about last week, Evan, that Jagger wasn't here for movie news wise. I can't remember. If I remember, I'll bring it up. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, we're going to skip movie news today. Again, we wish Jagger the best of luck um, on Fourth Wall Film Talk. He will be reviewing 2001 with us, but I think then he's going to get out of here. This will be his last review on The Average Film Enjoyer. We will have him on um, in the future as a guest star. I will put a link to the Fourth Wall Film Talk in the description of this video so you guys can Thank go check out me. the uh, first episode of his pod that, I, if I'm not uh, wrong, you're hosting with your dad, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, who uh, we had on, but we never actually released the Halloween special episode. I don't yeah, think. it was too much stress that month, Trey. You couldn't have expected me to edit a No, hours, no, so. but we interviewed him. The, the, he's very intelligent, um, so definitely go check that out. Keep keeping up with uh, OJ Productions and all of this stuff that him and um, Owen are bringing I, out. If I may just quickly do one more shameless promo here. Yes, um, please. Our podcast is now working. The Fourth Wall Film Talk podcast is working in association with the Fourth Wall Film Festival so if you're an independent filmmaker and you listen to this podcast, submit through Film Freeway your movie to it. And if you do win at the film festival, you will come on for a full interview about your film on our podcast. So yeah, oh, yeah. just check out the film festival. Check out the podcast. Thank you all very, very much. Yes. All right. Let's get into Jagger's final review with the average film enjoyer, fellas. Um, today we, uh, we were supposed to do it on Friday, but we're doing it today. Uh, we are doing part three of our Kubrick watch through. So we are going to start, um, with, in my opinion, the greatest science fiction film ever made and the greatest film ever made, uh, 2001, a space odyssey. This film was released in 1968, uh, somehow, somehow, which is unbelievable. It doesn't make sense. Uh, an overall letterbox score of 4.3. Um, it has an IMDb score. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but I want to. Of a 8.3? That's oh, God, that's so really? low. That's insane. Um, I think this movie is just immaculate. Um, I think that this... I mean, obviously, this is, I think, his piece de resistance. Uh, little synopsis for you guys. Um, humanity finds a mysterious object buried beneath the lunar surface and sets off to find its origins with the help of HAL 9000, the world's most advanced supercomputer. Um, yeah, just a masterful piece of cinema, in my opinion. Um, but, Jagger, why don't, you, uh, yeah, why don't you start us off? Okay, well, to start it off, I just want to talk about the HAL 9000 as a character. Yeah. Um, I've said it about Stanley Kubrick's previous work. I've said it about The Shining. Stanley mm -hmm. Kubrick has a way with his characters. His characters being every single thing to touch the screen during a Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah. The hotel character. Sound character. Music mm -hmm. character. Everything... The numbers on the doors. Characters. Stanley Kubrick is away with his characters, away with his words, away with his scripts, away with his adaptations of novels that are somehow better than every other novel adaptation to ever happen. Stanley Kubrick is away with his work. And I think the HAL 9000 is, and I mean, if you guys want to chip in, is the maybe greatest character maybe in Ever, ever in cinema 
I'm stumbling because I don't know how to word it, and I'm trying to prepare myself for what I'm about to say. Uh, if you look at the HAL 9000, and you look at the year this film was released, and you look at the actions of the HAL 9000, spoiler alert for 2001 A Space Odyssey, it's been out for almost 60 years. It, God, that's crazy. Yeah, it is incredible. Like, look at, look at it this way, right? You're someone living in 1968. Computers don't exist yet to their, like, popularity. Um, are there things like computers that exist? Yes. But are, is it still not something in every home? Yeah. Crazy, huh? And then this film comes out. You go to the movie theater, and it's about a computer. Doesn't really exist yet. But a computer that has a mind of its own that could kill you. Wild concept. And mm -hmm. Stanley Kubrick said this when he released Clockwork Orange, and then there was the copycat criminal and this whole thing that went on with that. We'll talk about that when that episode comes. Stanley Kubrick made movies that the world was not ready for. Yeah. And my God, does this rank at the top of the charts. People could not... I, I My grandfather went to see this <clears throat> film when it came out in theaters. Uh, shout out, Grandpa. Woo. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out, Grandma, Jagger's Grandpa. Uh... And he said there was audible gasps when it started, like, kicking people out. Because now if you look at that movie, it's shockingly relevant. But mm -hmm. 60 years ago, it was beyond the comprehension of the human mind to have something like this happen. And who yeah. other to make that film that is so ahead of its time than the 200 IQ genius stanley kubrick and that is why 2001 is still relevant still popular still has one of the greatest legacies in cinema history and that's why i believe hal 9000 is one of the greatest characters to ever touch the silver screen yeah um i mean we we've talked about this i think i feel like every episode we've reviewed kubrick uh even before Evan came on, we talked about one of the big things that made him so great is Kubrick was constantly putting the envelope of <laughs> what was allowed and what was accepted in cinema, um, especially in mainstream cinema. Um, and I mean, there, the, the, and we'll, me and Evan will get to this later when we talk about Dr. Strangelove. Uh, there wasn't anything too political he was pushing here. It was more the, what you could do <laughs> with visual effects um, and I want to spend a few minutes here just talking about the visual effects. Um, yes. This movie came out before CGI was widely used in film. Obviously, CGI had had been used in film before this, uh, because I believe Vertigo uh, came out before this, and that was the first film to ever use CGI. Um, but this movie uses zero CGI. This was the before pen it. scene. How the fuck does the pen scene exist? Yeah, and there's no wires, so and I mean, there's no CGI. So how is that pen floating? The last hour of this is that, just like too. how 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 is this possible? I mean, Stanley Kubrick, it really shows how much of a man he was with a camera. Um, I mean, the helicopter scene where they're flying what looks like through a canyon with really just an infrared lens is unbelievable. Um, the, some of the shots in this movie where, uh, I mean, um, 
the astronauts are like running up through the space station and the camera is following them it's i mean it's it's ridiculous you 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 had never seen anything even close to as good as this before this movie came out um which is why i think a lot of people talk about uh who like saw this movie in the theater talk about having like a spiritual experience when seeing this film because it was just it was really something that had never been done um and I, I would mean, like a... to, before we go anywhere else, because I know that this conversation might travel, I would like to talk about the opening of this film and yeah. how revolutionary that is. Uh, I'm talking mm-hmm. about the thing with the people in the monkey suits and then they're throwing the bones around and there's the giant block and then it wraps back around to it at the end, which the ending is one of the most beautiful ever to, like I said, grace the silver screen. There are a lot of times you can use that terminology when it comes to this film. Mm-hmm. The way that this film opens and ends are both some of the best in visuals ever. Um, yeah. When we get to Barry Lyndon, then visuals like this are kind of going to get squished. <laughs> but... Yeah, Barry Lyndon is <laughs> like a Picasso in every single frame. Yeah. and I'm I excited think... to talk about Barry Lyndon. Oh, very, very. Uh, but I think that when you are talking about this film, that opening with the monkeys is... It's just beautiful. Um, And then beyond that, the ending with the giant baby and all of its representatives and the concept that the AI basically took him hostage and explored the concept of rebirth. I think that that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that Stanley Kubrick doing this in 1968 is like... I mean, there are no really revolutionary films now. Are there films that I rate perfect because of my enjoyment and because of my appreciation of scripts? Yes, there are. But do I really think there's been any film half as revolutionary as Kubrick work? No. People praise Parasite to no end. But did Parasite... Oppenheimer. Did Parasite or Oppenheimer (laughs) do what do for cinema what 2001 did to cinema or what Barry Lyndon or Clockwork Orange did to cinema? (laughs) Clockwork Orange, get that out of That's a sneak. Okay, Clockwork Orange revolutionized controversial cinema and your Frank Henenlotters and such would not be here if it were not for Stanley Kubrick with Lolita and Clockwork Orange. Yes, I'm praising Lolita. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... And there's so much here. I mean, the the iconic part. That, and there's so much iconic. Con, I don't know how to say iconic. See, iconic. There's just so much part. There's so many parts of this movie that are iconic. Um, I mean, the, anything from the score, um, the boom, boom. Like you hear that <laughs> in so much cinema. Even like my all-time favorite band, Fish. They um, the like jam rock band. And they will cover the 2001 theme during their concerts. Um, And then also the intro. We saw referenced earlier last year with Barbie. The entire intro is an homage to 2001. Um, And I mean, it's just an immaculate film. It's, 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 it's perfect. It's, I, yeah, I don't think it's perfect. I think for me, at least, it does lack in the story department. Um, like you said, it's iconic. It's, yeah, it's very, very, very slow. 
Um, I think and that story, is why it's not it's my done... favorite Kubrick, but I do think it is his greatest piece of work. I think as far as if we're going to talk about the story department, I think that it is a very, very sound story. I think that if you talk about stories in cinema, and especially if you look at the time frame, uh, making a movie about an AI that takes over a ship and slowly starts ticking off the people on the ship, I think that that's really cool. Um, and I do really respect that. Uh, I would also like to quickly sort of diss Christopher Nolan, if I may, for a minute. Stray. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Christopher Nolan's going to catch a stray here. <laughs> if you look at Interstellar and you look at the wide shots of things in space, to say that that's not highly, highly derivative of 2001, and to say that he did not most definitely take a good chunk of shots from 2001... It's not derivative, it's inspiration. Plus, Christopher Nolan got real astrophysicists on this movie to make sure it was accurate. I don't disagree that the wormhole scenes are very similar. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not... I don't think it's derivative. It's more, in my eyes, homage because Christopher Nolan loves film. It's very clear in all his movies that he loves film. So I think it's kind of like jumping the gun saying it's derivative as if he was just stealing it because... Christopher Nolan obviously set out with oh, uh, he obviously set out with Interstellar to make a ambitious film about space, and that's the same thing Stanley Kubrick bit did. Is um, 2001: A Space Odyssey better? Absolutely, yeah. but I don't think that him taking those incredibly perfect scenes from 2001: A Space Odyssey is derivative and more. It's just homage as he aims to do what Kubrick did back in the 60s in modern time. Okay, well, I guess if you want to stand your ground, you can. I think that Christopher Nolan tried to do a similar thing to 2001 in a, like for a good chunk of the space section. I just think he did it worse. Um, if I may, yeah, I will sure. also quickly comment on the pacing of this film. I feel like this film is paced about as well as Scarface, where it is a long film that feels like 30 minutes. Uh, I could say the same thing for Saltburn. It passes say the same thing about Django Unchained. You could say the same thing about Django. Say the same thing about Pulp Fiction. Yeah. You could say the same thing about Taxi Driver. Say the same thing about Goodfellas. There are a lot of movies that are iconic for their ability to feel very well paced yeah and i think that this is one of them yeah. um yeah i would uh, really love to because I, I haven't drawn my thoughts yet um i would love to talk about 2001 a space odyssey okay. my brother who was more of a cinephile than i was at a younger age i was probably you know 16 comes up to me he goes evan i want to show you this movie it opens with five minutes of a black screen with orchestral music and then 20 minutes of monkeys. And that's it. And then it's a space movie. And I said, Ryan, that sounds like the most boring shit I've ever heard in my entire life. He goes, trust me. <laughs> we sat down in my basement in complete silence and we watched this movie. We didn't utter a word to each other for the entire two and a half hours, whatever it is. And I finished that movie. I said, that might be the greatest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And then I did not rewatch this movie because I, you know, this memory was really great. And then I saw 
that my local retro theater was playing 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I said, I can't pass up a chance to see this film in the theaters. I went. I didn't. Rem- I remember most of it. I don't remember some of it. A lot of the stuff I didn't remember was when Hal starts going evil. Like the whole scene when... I don't remember their names, but the main guy is on, you know, he's doing the spacewalk. Like, I didn't remember that kind of stuff. And 2001 A Space Odyssey in theaters is a sight to behold. It's not the nicest theater, but getting to experience this level of filmmaking in the theaters and this type of movie that has no CGI on a big screen is insane it's it's different than the tv you know i watch this in my basement or whatever it's genuinely crazy watching it the scale is in insane like it beats out anything you watch these days because kubrick was doing it like nobody else could and maybe nobody else will i would love to argue that this is, these are two totally different movies, but Nolan using zero CGI on Oppenheimer. Again. Don't lo- compare love, Oppenheimer to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm gonna. On the visual effects level, when both of them are using no effects, both of them do it perfectly. It's crazy. And again, I want to reiterate, I think Christopher Nolan has zero ounce of, you know, oh, I want to rip this off in his body he is there to respect and love film and that's what he does and so did stanley kubrick stanley kubrick made movies because that's what he was meant to do and i'll keep talking about this for the next couple weeks when we keep reviewing kubrick movies but 2001 a space odyssey is just it's like his magnum opus like you could say that about any of his movies i mean some of his early ones maybe not so much but like he put everything he had into these fucking movies and <clears throat> it's it's crazy to think that he was able to do it or even think about it like like you said Jager the AI thing like that's a relevant issue today and he was thinking about it way way back and it's still a relevant film today it's kind of crazy how ahead of his time he was yeah 2001 a space odyssey is just a i don't i don't have it as my number one movie but as anyone said that i would respect it because like yeah it's it's crazy it's ahead of its time it's entertaining it's intense creepy as fuck it's funny at times like it's just it's a perfect movie yeah yeah well if there isn't anything else either of you um, want to add, I would like to move into our review of Spotlight. If I can quickly throw oh. one thought in, like, one yeah. little thing before I leave and say my last goodbye, uh, if I may, uh, David Byrne watched Dr. Strangelove and thought it was really, really good, and then when they were trying to make the movie of Stop Making Sense, they had all the footage that they needed from the tours, and he said, I want you to start the movie with the font that they start Dr. Strangelove with, because that movie's really good, and it'll make people like our movie more. Uh, that's a so W that's... from David Byrne. Yeah. 
that's um, something to throw him. All right. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for going on this adventure with me. Thank you to the 1,500 recurring listeners as of yesterday. Uh, we thank you all to an extreme, extreme degree. Uh, I thank you all more than I could put into words in the next three hours. So I thank you all. And that's all yeah. I've got. Uh, I will see you all later, whether it be there. We'll see you soon for Eyes Wide Shot. Whether it be right here talking about Eyes Wide Shot. I will see you all on the other side. Goodbye. Yeah. Sad day, man. Yeah. Sad day. Um, but yeah, let's get into our next, uh, next film. We're going to try to keep these next couple reviews short. Yeah. Um, even though I would love to talk about these films for hours. Yeah. I'm going to try and keep Spotlight short because I just watched it today. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so next film, uh, we're splitting up our Kubrick movies this week, uh, because Because the sake of our IMDb movie is just bleak. It's pain. And we need to finish with something good, like Dr. Strangelove. Um, like, funny, I mean. These yeah. Both are amazing. Um, but yeah, we are... Our next movie in our IMDb series, I believe it's number 217. Let me see here. Um, but the number... I was right. I'm a genius. Nice. Um, <laughs> Killed that. Thank you. Um... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, our next movie, we are reviewing um, the masterpiece that came out in 2015, the film in which uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo truly, truly puts on a clinic. Continues um, to put on Continues to put on a clinic is Spotlight, uh, directed by Tom McCarthy. This film stars Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Liev Schreiber, um john john slattery um stanley tucci is in it uh billy kudrup is in it playing like the worst human yeah um and he's so friendly about it in like every scene it's it's the worst but we'll get into that yeah uh this movie has an imdb score of 8.1 um the synopsis of this uh, the true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local Catholic Archdiocese, shaking the entire Catholic Church to its core. Um, so really, this is about the uh, the massive cover-up of child molestation in the Catholic Church um, in 2001. Um, well, really, like, forever. Yeah. Um, and... I think today I'm going to do my best to keep my uh, views on Christianity out of it. Um, because whether you are religious or not, this is definitely going to have it. This movie is going to have an effect on you. Yeah, and the film touches on that too. Um, we'll get into it because it, yeah. it's in the later half of the movie. Uh, but. Evan, why don't you give us your opening thoughts on Spotlight? Yeah, I saw this movie when it came out. I don't remember. It was 2015, I think it came out. Yeah. Um, I watched it when it came out, and I really liked it. And I haven't seen it since, because it's a downer of a movie. It is not yes. a happy movie. Is it... I'm going to use the word entertaining, because 
I tend to love investigative dramas like Zodiac and things like that. It's kind of yeah. in that same vein. Yes. Not about a serial killer, but something terrible. The way... Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to rant and try and spill my brain. Um, first of all, on that true crime basis, the investigative scenes are brilliant. Mark Ruffalo and also uh, Rachel McAdams, mommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Digging deep... <laughs> digging into these these personal cases and meeting these these victims one-on-one is shocking and so riveting this movie like riveting is the word to use you're locked in yeah it's it's intense as shit even though it's a dialogue driven drama with even it doesn't have a lot of those huge raise your voice oscar type scenes you know no it doesn't like the the standout moments, Mark Ruffalo has one near the end, but yet it is so insanely riveting. Um, and yeah, I put off watching this movie for a while because I knew it was coming out, but I was <laughs> I was like, I know the subject matter and I've seen it, even though I don't remember it super well. It's just yeah. it's tough to get through. It's not a it's a very sad reality that this is a s- true story and continues to be an issue um mm-hmm. but yeah that's the thing i want to hammer, hammer home it the runtime is decently short for a drama like this like two hours and five minutes or something yeah. uh it blows past this movie yes. is it locks you in from the start and uh yeah i watched i watched it this morning and it just it flew past i was supposed to do laundry and i was like oh Sorry, yeah, I, I forgot I, about it. I couldn't agree more. I'm totally with you. I love investigative dramas. Yeah. Um, especially investigative. Like, new, like if you go back, well, yeah, there's uh, All the President's Men. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that. I need to watch that. Uh, that film is immaculate. Um, you were talking about how much you enjoyed The Post. Yeah, The Post um, is awesome. Watergate. Yeah, that's but, really, really good. Yeah, um, I think this... I just like watching movies where people are competent at their jobs. Yeah, like, it's like... This is, this is really, to its most basic level, this is a movie about people who are very good at their job. Yeah, and like investigative shit, whether it's murders or news stories or whatever, they're they're entertaining because, I mean even if you don't know the story, if you do know the story, like you're, you're kind of itching to see what's next and how they got to the end point. Mm-hmm. Like obviously with this movie, you probably knew, Oh yeah. The huge stories came out, but like you're itching to see what built to it. There's so exactly. much buildup and the payoff is insane. Yeah. Even though uh, I want to talk about this later because mm-hmm. the ending of uh spotlight is pretty pretty quiet honestly yes you know they we'll we'll get into it later when we talk about like each part of the movie but Mm -hmm. they break the story and then the movie ends with them answering the phones like it's it's still such a good payoff that you know you think oh my god people are fine like people are coming forward like it's terrible that they have to but yeah it's it's just so fulfilling and the performances are immaculate. I'm going to glaze Mark Ruffalo in a little bit cuz I want to talk about the movie first, but he is insane in this movie. He's so good. His Rich McAdams amazing and Michael Keaton 
I was reading on the trivia, the IMDb trivia, that he was scared to take this role on because he didn't want to do a Boston accent until he found out that the real guy it's based on doesn't have a super thick Boston accent. And then he's like, I'm in. Yeah, uh, yeah he's um, great. The supporting cast is phenomenal. This movie's pretty stacked. Yeah. Liev Schreiber, I, when I was watching this, I was like, shit, I can't wait to talk about how awesome Liev Schreiber is in this movie on the podcast yeah. later because yeah like sure. he's he's so stoic and cold mm-hmm. but you can tell that number one he wants a good story for the paper but number two he's like we can't settle for a small story we need this to be the biggest story we can get so that we can take these scumbags down yeah yeah but I... he's so yeah he's just so cold in his performance and he's he's really really great yeah yeah i love spotlight very good um Okay, I'm going to... Yeah, so let's just get into it. Um, first thing I want to talk about, uh, Mark Ruffalo's performance here. Just, he just puts on a clinic, man. Um, a, he, like, I think there there is a lot of debate around whether Mark Ruffalo is actually a good actor or not. Which is crazy. Um, and I think it's because a lot of his roles... He doesn't really, I don't know. A lot of his roles just feel the same. They don't, he doesn't push himself. Yeah, exactly. Cause he has but the chops in this role. It's he, he becomes a completely different person. If you watch interviews with the actual Mike Resendiz, Mark Ruffalo, like got him down so well. It's crazy. And one scene that specifically comes to mind is it's like the only dramatic blow up of the movie. Yeah. And it's near the end where they won't run the story yet because it's not big enough yet. And he blows up. And I remember I this was a rewatch for me. And sometimes when I rewatch movies, I'll play video games. So I was playing video games and I literally paused it to watch this scene and just be like, uh okay mark um yeah he just he does such a good job here um and i mean again we i feel that a lot of the performances get slept on because of how good he is yeah um like you said lee of schreiber is amazing we get a performance from him that is something we don't usually see from him that kind of stoic silent um type of performance which i think he really shines in. yeah he doesn't do too many like crazy dramatic roles but he can Mm -hmm. yeah um john slattery um was excellent he's a delight per usual um michael keaton like you said amazing rachel mcadams amazing yeah rachel mcadams had this like really tender yeah feel to her role like when she first interviews i can't remember his name but uh like the gay guy yeah and you know I mean, he wants to she, be you there get that from every role from her yeah that's just who she is as a person but it fit this so well because you know they first start interviewing victims and it's a huge thing that they finally have found some victims that would like to speak and man this scene is intense like they're i don't know if intense is the right word but you know he's like oh i got some muffins like you can tell he's clearly nervous but uh yeah she's just so gentle in it and he immediately is like i'm here 
and it's time. It's finally time to get this shit out. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like a lot of people have tried before, you know, he can kind of tell that Boston Globe spotlight news section is the time where it's it's gonna make a change because a big prevalent thing in this film is we've tried before the church buried it or the lawyers lawyers buried it and nothing's gone right for us so why would we bother yeah like trudging up all this terrible shit again um so i think it's really interesting that the spotlight team is so dedicated to servicing the victims of each story they run that all these victims are like, yeah, it's time. And even uh, one scene I'd love to touch on. It's uh, right at the end. Me and Trey were talking about this before the podcast, but when uh, Michael Keaton, Robbie goes to see the one lawyer, Sullivan, I think his name is. um, And he, he goes to the house and his, the guy's wife is like, Oh, it's so nice to see you. And he walks into the house and, uh, he's like, can you give us a minute? Michael Keaton's like, I need you to verify these names. Like, I'm running out of time. Like, the story's airing very soon. And mm-hmm. without this list, it's going to be, like, 13 priests or something like that. And uh, the the lawyer just kicks him out of the house. It's a big moment. He's like, what the fuck do you think you're doing coming to my house and yeah. being on my property with this? And then he walks out and... 10 seconds later he kind of realizes the gravitas of the situation where this is the one like this is the story where things are going to change and the lawyers who worked on it as terrible as it is are ready to flip yeah and he just circles every single name on the 70 priests and even uh one more scene that has this is it's when billy kudrup is in the lobby he gets off the elevator and michael keaton's like i need you to help me give me the names of the victims and he just goes i already did like 20 years ago and you ignored it and you buried it and it kind of just shows how long this this problem's been going on and yeah a lot of people are just like nothing's gonna happen why bother i'll make some money off it uh and yeah, it's it's just kind of crazy to watch thinking how terrible this is and it took this long. And that's a big important dialogue in the end of the movie yeah. where uh Michael Keaton is really he's kind of guilt tripping where he's like what took me so long? And he mm-hmm. brings it up with his bosses too. And it's just like why didn't we find this sooner? It's it's crazy. And it that's kind of a dawning on every single character in the movie. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. And I think another thing we get a lot in this movie is these really oddly haunting scenes that happen constantly. And I think the first time we see it is when um, Rachel McAdams' character, Dude. she goes to interview that priest who is yeah. accused of molesting multiple kids. And he is so cavalier about it and so like oh yeah i did that but like he's like but i never enjoyed it so he's like there's a difference i should know and you just kind of realize the pipeline and you're just like 
what? And you see it in Rachel McAdams' face. She's just like, what the hell? Yeah, it's happening? so it's so crazy. Like she 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 knocks on the door and she's like expecting to get nothing, and then he's like, yeah, that's me. I molested those kids, and he she just busts out the notebook and she starts writing and. He's yeah. so upfront about everything. It's crazy. Yeah. And then we get, um, well, we get the scene between um, the lawyer for the archdiocese and Michael Keaton's character. Yeah. Where the guy is like, hey, that, that, new, that new editor of yours, he's not a Boston boy like us. Think about all the good that the archdiocese does for us. And... Michael and you think Michael Keaton's gonna cave, but then he's like, "So this is how it happens." Yeah, one guy leans on another guy, and he's watching it in real time. Yeah, and the the priests echo this in any scene they talk about a talk with priests. It's that same thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, And I think it's. I think it's that scene where they interviewed the one guy with the thick Boston accent, and he's like, "Or no." Maybe it's an I can't remember, but he's like, oh, it's I think it might be when they they interview the one priest, and he's like, it's how you lose your faith, like, yeah, they started small and it just keeps building, and then you're like, well, I want to help the priests, and then your faith is just gone, and you're like sucked into it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and then there's the scene at the end. This scene always gets me is when Mark Ruffalo is in the back of the church watching the kids <sighs> sing Silent Night with just a look of absolute disgust on his face. Oh, dude. I mean, again, this movie is, it's a difficult watch, but I do yeah. think it is a essential watch. Yeah. Um, so let's get into our, our, our questions. Um, one other scene, just backpacking yeah. off the, the Mark yeah. Ruffalo scene is when I don't remember which actor it is and his name, but it's the one with the kids and he's going through the list of all of the priests and oh. he sees the address that's like right beside his house yeah, of like and he puts that sign on his center. fridge yeah he puts that sign on his fridge and he's like kids stay away from this and he's asking mark or uh michael keaton he's like i need to tell my kids and my family and the like, neighborhood kids and he's like this is real life like it's not just for these random kids it's my life too and michael keaton just like we'll tell them soon and that's like halfway into the movie almost like yeah it just it's the this movie perfectly shows how real this problem is and how it affects so many people not just like the the victims but mm-hmm. these reporters realize it yeah. it could be anyone um, yeah yeah go so, um I kind of want to change up our four questions because I feel like at least for today, the only one we really need to ask because we've, we've covered, I don't think there's really a most rewatchable scene here. Yeah. Like if um, you want dramatic, you'll watch Mark Ruffalo's blow exactly. up. Exactly. And we know who wins. Uh, yeah. Who won this movie. Mark yeah. Ruffalo, hands down. Um, there's no conversation between a fight between Jack Torrance or any of the characters. <laughs> uh, so i mean do you the only question is really uh does this belong in the imdb top 250 it, it should be higher I in agree. my opinion i agree it it really should i was thinking to myself I was, and i was looking at the oscar nominees because this won best picture and yeah deservedly so mm-hmm. um i mean i really liked it when i saw it as a 
when it came out, but today it dawned on me how fucking good this movie is. Yeah, and it's you look at some of the best picture ones, and it's like this might be the most deserving in a long time. Yeah, Um, like it stacks up there with Moonlight for me. Yeah. Well, that is our review of Spotlight. Everyone definitely go check this out. Go watch it. Yeah, it's on Netflix Um, in Canada. If you're shut out Canada, it's available to rent if you're living in America. Um. But yeah, uh, next week, I believe our movie is Logan. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years. Yeah, I've only seen it once. I only saw it in the theater, so I'm really excited I, like, to rewatch it. I just rewatched it like a month ago, and I'm definitely going to rewatch it again. Yeah, sick. Um, just an excuse to watch it. Also depressing as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, bleak. Yeah. Um, well... <laughs> but yeah, let's get into uh, our second part of our Kubrick watch through uh of today dr strangelove We're yeah let's get with a comedy yeah um dr strangelove which i believe was released before 2001 yep 19 was released that was the one right before 2001 yeah with, that's crazy uh, peter sellers just absolutely cooking in this movie uh george c scott sterling hayden um uh it is dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb um after the insane general jack d ripper initiates a <laughs> nuclear strike on the soviet union a war room full of politicians generals and a russian diplomat all frantically try to stop the nuclear strike um this is a war satire um this has an average rating of 4.3 on letterboxd um good I have this at a four and a half. I think Evan has this at a four and a half. Uh, yeah, it's a four and a half or a five. Yeah, this is a war satire. Um, it's pure comedy, um, which is something up up until this point we hadn't seen from Kubrick. Um, and uh, very diverse know, like, filmmaker. Yeah, we know like at this point he can really do it. He can do drama like the best. But this is like going in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about Kubrick as a thriller director with, I mean, The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut. Um, Yeah, but But as a comedic director, I mean, this is a really big comedy. Yeah, Barry Lyndon has a few laughs, but fuck, this movie's funny. Dude, it's so funny. And again, we talked about this last week. We were talking about 2001, um, and we talked about it last week, pushing the envelope. This yeah. came out 1964. This came out a year after JFK was shot and killed. This was at the peak of the Cold War. Yeah, I was um, just about to ask what year the Cold War ended. The Cold War ended in like the 80s. Um, That's crazy. This movie came out during the Cold War. This came out during the Cold War. This is a movie. Of, it's and, about the it, Cold War. And it's... It is a film making fun of of all the politicians and all the people who were running the country at this point. And I mean, talk about pushing the envelope. And I mean, this movie is, it's, it's immaculate. It's so funny. And it the fact is that this hysterical. Movie can be how old this year, 60 years old this year. It turns 60 years old. This That's year. crazy. And the fact that most of the jokes still hold up is crazy. It's, I mean, this movie is hilarious. It's so funny. 
Um, and I think that it is it is slept on as a Kubrick film. I think you can, yes. I think Peter Sellers, who plays um, Lieutenant uh, or uh, Captain Mandrake, he yeah. also plays pre the president, and he plays Doctor Strangelove. I think he does an astounding job here. Um, I mean, there are so many great jokes in this film. Um, I mean, my favorite one personally is the one I put in the review is, uh, yeah. general Buck Turgidson. Um, it gets in a fight with the Russian diplomat and the president goes, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. It's yeah. just so stupid, my, but it's so funny. Yeah. My favorite or funniest line is I mentioned last week, but it's that scene where Turgidson is on the phone with his wife or mistress or whatever. Yeah. And he just goes, of course, it's not just physical baby. I respect you so much as a person. And he's like whispering in the phone with like 30 other people in the war room discussing a nuclear Holocaust about to hit. Like, yeah. Oh and, my and, God. This and movie also is the so fact funny that his fiance has yeah the direct number to the war room also like crazy just watching her on the phone while he's in the bed wearing like a hawaiian shirt and shorts and you haven't seen him yet but like <laughs> she's just yelling at him like super serious war matters and he's like oh i'll call him back it's so funny yeah and I think that the the scene that also really gets me is when uh, the president talks to the prime minister of Russia. Well, well, of course I'm not just calling you to tell you this to me. Of course, of course I like I'll, talking yeah. to you. <laughs> you well, don't think I'd just call you for fun? Dimitri, I, of course. I, I love talking to you. Well, I am just upset as you are. I, it's... I, this movie, I... It's so funny. Dude, and Peter Sellers is, is so good. <laughs> this is the exact reason why physical media is so important. Because if we lose physical media, we we give up our freedom to put out what we want. The government can censor anything. Now, if this movie came out today, criticizing our government today, it would not be... Re I mean, it may be received well. I would be like, yes, give me war satire. I yeah. love it. But it may not be received well. Yeah, it's been um, a long time since a war satire came out. There was that one with Brad Pitt that I heard was terrible. The War Machine one? I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard that's so bad. Um, but, I mean, this is just... It still holds up 60 <sighs> years later, I think. Yeah. It's, it's so great. Um, you can stream it on Max. Go check that out. Um, and where, where did you watch it? Evan? I rented it. You rented it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's our Kubrick movies for today. 2001 yeah. And go, Strange go Lives. watch, maybe don't double feature them, but watch both of them. Yeah. Dr. Strange um, is hilarious. Before we get into what we've been watching recently and try to finish this up for you guys. Yeah. Um, so Friday we will be reviewing, um, uh, a Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon. 
um, for our Kubrick part three. I'm not excited two, to watch Clockwork Orange again. <laughs> two absolute, I've heard bangers. These are the last two Kubrick movies that I have never seen. Oh, you've never um, seen either of these? So. No. This will be first watches for be both. good chats. Um, and then next Tuesday, as we said, we will be reviewing Logan. And then the fr- next Friday, um, so in about a week and a half, we will be doing um, a single episode. It'll be our only like one episode Kubrick uh, watch through since he has an odd number. We will be reviewing The Shining, one full episode dedicated to the masterpiece that is The Shining. Um, and then the Tuesday after that, we will be doing Platoon. Um, and also, big announcement. Um, so this Friday, we will also, you can expect an episode this weekend. We will be re- recording with uh, writer and director um, Eric England. He has primarily worked on horror films, um, most notably uh, a film called Contracted that we will be talking about. Uh, easily one of the grossest movies I have yeah, ever seen. Yeah, go watch it. It's, oh, holy. It's good. It's a movie right now. It's a fun Ooh. time. Well, maybe it not fun, but it's disgusting. If um, you like fucked up horror, go watch it. It's a really yeah, entertaining um, one. Go check out some of his movies. Uh, he also has one that's streaming on Peacock right now called Josie with Sophie Turner and Dylan McDermott. Um, so go check out some of his stuff. We'll be interviewing him. We are very much looking forward to it. That episode will be most likely coming out this weekend. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. You just want to go one by one, Evan. I like that format. Yeah, sure. Just Absolutely. Switch off. Um, so, so I give think me, the last one was first... the 12th. Um, uh, yeah. Last one I did was words on the bathroom walls. Yeah. I didn't talk about the watch last week. Did or no, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Oh, I did. Yeah. Okay, I rewatched Rice Boy Sleeps. W. It's it's fucking perfect. Yeah. This is after some levels of coming of age drama. Mm-hmm. It's it's so amazing. Go watch it. If you're Canadian, it's on Crave. Otherwise, what the hell it's is not, Crave? It's uh, we don't have HBO Max here. It's our version of HBO Max. It's like HBO Max Lite. <laughs> But w. it's a Canadian media movie, and it's only available on Crave, so Canada represent. Uh, go watch it; it's really good. Yeah. Then uh, I watched the. Fi- oh, sorry. No, yeah, sorry. My bad. Oh, go. yeah. Go. First one for me: Return of the Jedi. Um, completed my rewatch of the OG trilogy. Should be called Return of the Mid. Yes. It's it's it's, it's fine. It's it's not good. It's, it's not boring. Bad. It's fine. It's boring. Um. It's a real step down from Empire. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, next one for you. There's not too much else I want to say about that. Yeah, it's... my next watch, I want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, yeah. The Fablemans. Peak. This is like Babylon levels of loving filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on a peachy scale. Yeah. The first time I saw this movie, I saw it in theaters, and the entire theater was filled with old people. And... I sat there on the opening scene watching Sammy Fableman watch his first movie in theaters, and I fucking sobbed. I was crying my eyes out because I was like, "Yeah, man, I love movies. This is like my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. It's a compelling coming-of-age drama, and it's also a love letter to movies, and you also think about watching it and thinking, man, Steven Spielberg lived this. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but a lot of the... Sh- 
sorry, I think it's all of them. Maybe not all of them, but most of the short films in the movie, the cowboy one, the war one, mm-hmm. those are real short films Spielberg made, and he found the old tapes and remade them shot for shot. That's crazy. Yeah. So I love the Fablemans. I'm going to talk about it again in a minute because I've rewatched this again two days later, or actually the next day. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I love the Fablemans. It has this really interesting switch to a very... I know a lot of people criticize the third act because it gets into this kind of stereotypical coming-of-age high school drama in mm-hmm. that last act when Sammy's a teenager and he goes to high school. Yeah. I love it because I like coming-of-age movies, so... Yeah, Fablemans is awesome. Go watch it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to start doing two because I think I watched like twice the movies. Yeah, um, I'm going to do two next too because it's my double feature. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so to bust out two more, uh, I watched San Andreas. Rewatched it, I should say. Um, Carlo Gugino and Alexandra Daddario should not be allowed to be in the same movie. It's, <laughs> it's very distracting um paul giamatti you were right evan paul giamatti saying like her being call like, everyone hey, who <laughs> do we what do we do call everyone Dude, it's, it's so, so funny it's so cheesy um but yeah that movie is i i mean i feel like every disaster i feel like this way about every disaster movie it's like a huge disaster that unites the uh that unites america and yeah it ends up being extremely patriotic yeah like, oh, I, that's uh, weird it's uh, interesting because a lot of people in that real talk discord have been watching norwegian disaster movies which is a whole different genre of disaster movies and apparently they're I like to, legit peak not trashy I need to check peak some of the, i need to check so out. i'm gonna start watching them soon the wave w. the wave that's the one the i have one. that on my watch list yeah it's a norwegian disaster movie i gotta check it out yeah um yeah. but i followed up san andreas with uh, the mastery. I was feeling a rewatch of something um, hereditary. Just threw it on. This is my sixth sixth time watching that movie. I've logged it three times on Letterboxd, and I watched it three times before that. It it gets better every time. It's perfect. It's so good. It is so yeah. good. Um, and the fact that Tony Collette got snubbed, even an Oscar nom, I think she should have won. Yeah, hands down. But the fact that she didn't even get a nom just shows like how Revolting. underappreciated horror is at the academy. Yeah. It's, it's a medium that is just not respected. Yeah. All right. Like even when we touch on uh, Oscar predictions later mm-hmm. in a month, month or two. Um, yeah. Alyssa Th- Sutherland in Evil Dead Rise. She won't get a Best Supporting Actress. Now. She won't. But she but should because it's crazy. She's yeah. so good. Uh, She's so yeah. Good. All right, Hereditary give us, is amazing. Uh, the greatest double feature in the history of man. This shit was crazy. I watched <laughs> Barbie of Swan Lake followed up by Black Swan. Two tales of Swan Lake. Very different. Very, very different. Both were peak. I gave both of them five stars because yep. I have Barbie ratings on a different scale. Mm-hmm. Separate. It. <laughs> the Barbie movies are graded on how much I like them and how much... I don't, you know, get bored or hate myself watching them. Yeah. This was a good one. I've seen 16 now. The BCU. The BCU. Double. My my review just says another peak addition to the BCU. 
Uh, yeah, this was peak. I'm not going to touch on it for very long. I do want to yeah. talk about Black Swan. Black Swan is yeah. phenomenal. What did, what did your girlfriend think? I know it was. She really watch. liked it. Yeah. Um. So, Black Swan is a. It's pretty much an adaptation of Perfect Blue. Yeah. Perfect Blue, if you have not seen it or heard of it, is an anime movie. It's Japanese, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. It's very similar. Uh, yeah. Themes, story-wise, maybe not so much, but my god, Perfect Blue is an amazing movie. Go watch it. It's a yeah. conversation for another day when I rewatch it, and I can talk about it more. Um, Hell yeah. Black Swan is riveting. First off, the performances are out of this world. Natalie Portman 100% deserves the Oscar that she won for this movie. Mm-hmm. Thank God, speaking of horror being underrepresented at the Oscars, Black Swan's not a horror movie, but to the Academy it might be. Um, yeah, she, she is insane in this movie. She's yeah. so, so good. Oh my God. Yeah. It's intense. It's gross. It's very sexual. Uh, yeah. So, funny story about that. First time I watched <laughs> this was I was on a plane. Um, and I was watching, I had it downloaded on my phone. So I was watching on my phone and this was on the flight back me and my family were coming back from Hawaii. We over, we did like a layover in Seattle, like an hour long layover and then flew from Seattle to Portland, which is like a 30, 40 minute flight. Um, and I, uh this is the flight from seattle to portland was virtually empty like we all had our own rows um i was uh, sitting in the aisle for some reason and so i'm sitting there watching it and suddenly out of nowhere that scene just happens if you know what i mean and i was like oh god what this is something um to not to say that i didn't enjoy it it was pretty great uh (laughs) Um, but then I look behind me and all my siblings are just laughing at me and I'm like, I don't know what happened. I was watching it and then it just started happening and yeah, now we're here. <laughs> um, yeah, funny. Just a funny story about that. But yeah. I do agree with you. It is peak. It's an amazing film. Yeah. The first like two thirds are an intense drama about a perfectionist yeah. and her very demanding mother who just drives that perfectionism yeah. to extreme levels maybe we'll do a friday Um, night double feature episode where we double feature whiplash and black swan yeah that would be fun yeah and that movie also is a great entry into the world's worst mom uh, yeah absolutely oh my god that lady um yeah it it kind of it takes a little while not to get going because it's very intriguing from the moment it starts but to dive into this extreme mental illness that forms from an insane mother who has Mm. crazy demands on a poor daughter. And once it hits that moment where, you know, the split personalities, it's crazy. Like, yeah, the last 30 minutes of this movie is wild. You know, she kills two people and, and then you get to watch just insanely well-directed sequences by Darren Aronofsky um, yeah. of the dancing. Like, they're just insane. Mm-hmm. So 
This movie is insanely well directed. I will glaze Darren Aronofsky forever. Shout out Cash. You're wrong about Mother. Mother's peak, man. Mother is peak. Thank you. Uh, yeah, he he really is so good at making uncomfortable movies, and you know, Requiem and Mother, all those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie just goes crazy. It's really good. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna bust out like four right yeah, here. Yeah, go for just it. Real quick. Uh, the Woodsman. Uh, depressing, but also pointless. Uh, wasn't very good. Kevin, I mean, Kevin Bacon gives a great performance. Kyra Sedgwick gives a great performance. But this movie tries to get you to like empathize with a pedophile. Um, and that's not something I particularly want to do. Lolita syndrome. Uh, it's like it tries to be like, yeah, everybody deserves a second chance, but I'm on the thought process where I'm like, no, um, <laughs> just no. So felt kind of pointless. One star. Um, Dude, Sound of Freedom does the same thing, and I hate it. God, did you know that Tim Ballard, the guy that movie is about, like he was uh, a few months ago, like five women came out against him for like sexual abuse allegations. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Fuck that. No, it doesn't. And fuck that movie. It's boring. It's It's, first of all, not well-made. Second of all, made by crazy people. Yeah. It's boring as shit. The lighting is terrible. The pacing is awful. It has for a movie about its subject matter. feels terrible. Stakes wise. Yeah. Bill Camp, go, who I adore. In, instead um, of watching that, go watch You Were Never Really Here. Yes. And then watch Spotlight. Exactly. Um, also watch Jackass 3.5. Um, any of the Jackass films, I'm always in. Uh, I Dude, love I Jackass. saw you logging them, and I was like, I need to rewatch them. Dude, they're so fun. Um, then I watched We Have Always Lived in the Castle. This is like a horror movie, but if Wes Anderson directed a horror movie, Ooh. it was kind of peak. Uh, great vibes. Um, Tessa Farmiga, Alexander Daddario, Crispin Glover, and Sebastian Stan. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, I lo- yeah, it Really sick. just for the vibes. The vibes were immaculate. Um, and then after that, I watched The Monster, which was an A24 horror movie. Um, movie. Yeah. It was pretty good. But that mom, freaking more more movies into the mom, worst moms in the world universe. I mean, Jesus, she was God, dude. Yeah. Um, I was I it was at the point where I was kind of rooting for her to die, um, <laughs> which means you don't know how to write your characters well. Yeah. So. Dude, I need you to watch. I I don't care. Shit, I can't remember the name of it. The one with the. I care a lot. I care a lot. With... That's the one. Uh, what's her face from Gone Girl? Um, or, Rosamund uh, Pike. Rosamund Pike, yeah, yeah, dude. Because yeah, we were talking about uh, movies where the protagonists are terrible people. Yeah, we were talking about Return of the Jedi. Yeah, um, yeah, I need you to watch that because I yeah. feel like you might hate it, but because the the main character is an awful person. Uh, yeah. uh, next, I'm gonna do two. I watched Mirror, Tarkovsky. I watched this after I got home from work, and I started work at 5 a.m., so I was very sleepy. I did not finish it yeah. because I was too tired. I love Stalker. Tarkovsky 
cooked on that movie. Stalker is amazing and beautiful. Yep. I'll go back to it. And then I watched a heist movie that was very bad. Lift, the new Netflix original starring Kevin Hart. Yes. It's very stinky. I don't very, know why very... we keep going back to these. I'm a Kevin Netflix Hart needs to movies. stop pumping he out. Ne- he needs to stop doing things. He just needs to. Yeah, I, I loved Kevin Hart for a long time. I will stand by Central Intelligence. That movie is really funny with The Rock. I don't know if you've seen it. Really mm-hmm. good time. This shit was. The, the script was awful. It was so bad. Oh my god. I love heist movies, so. Gene you know what? Reno is in it. Hell yeah. Man. Yeah, dude. He. <laughs> I'm going to send you a clip after we finish this. Okay. He has a line in it. It's so bad. Um, Yeah, it's. The, the script is terrible, so you don't really care. Vincent the, the plot too? Yeah, bro. The, the cast is pretty stacked. Um, it is. Yeah. I'm not going to say I wasn't entertaining because I love heist movies. If you don't like heist movies, you're probably just going to write this off because it has a cool plot. Yeah. Kevin Hart. No. If Guy Ritchie made this dude, if Kevin or if Guy Ritchie made this movie, it would have been a five star. Guy Ritchie cooks, man. Guy Ritchie knows how to make a good heist movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go for Uh, it. To. I watched some peak after the monster. I rewatched the Avengers with my mom and sister. Uh, it's per, it's so good. It top three MCU movie. It's God, that movie's immaculate. Um, and then after that, I watched, uh, a recommendation from Evan, uh, watched nonstop filled with every Liam Neeson trope. That you could possibly think of. If you like Liam Neeson crime action movies, watch this movie. It's perfect. It's so it's, good. It, it's got this awesome film noir to it where you're genuinely cast. guessing. It's got a stack cast. It's just so much fun. I mean, you got you got Liam Neeson. You got uh, Julianne Moore. You got Michelle Dockery, Corey Stoll, Lupita Nyong'o. It's just stacked. Yeah. Um, and... and- one Here, location like is always just so fun. Yeah, here's the uh, synopsis, and tell me this doesn't sound like a Liam Neeson movie. Bill Marks is a burned-out veteran of the Air Marshal Service. He views the assignment not as a life-saving duty, but as desk job in the sky. However, today's flight will be no routine trip. Shortly into the transatlantic journey from New York to London, he receives a series of mysterious text messages ordering him to have the government transfer $150 million into a secret account or a passenger will die every 20 minutes. <laughs> and guess what? He also has an eight-year-old daughter who died of cancer and sent him into alcoholism. <sighs> who does this sound like to you? <laughs> it's peak Liam Neeson. Um, Dude, cold definitely the best thing. Next. This cold pursuit is the one I should watch yeah. next. The the okay. snowplow one where he's a snowplow driver. Watch it. It's I haven't seen that amazing. one. I might need to. I might give the commuter a rewatch because I think Vera Farmiga is in that one. Yeah, and she is. The way That's really the fun. way you feel about Rachel McAdams, I feel about Vera Farmiga. <laughs> Fair um, enough, dude. <laughs> love Vera Farmiga. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> after that, uh, <laughs> I watched uh, the stepfather, um, which. 
is a uh, late 2000s horror film starring Penn Badgley, Dylan Walsh, and Amber Heard. Shut up, uh, Gossip Girl. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this film could not have been more filled with that era of tropes. There's multiple Creed songs. There's multiple Audio Slave songs. There's a Band of Horses song just out of nowhere. I, it's just ridiculous. Um, do you, it's, I mean, again, the vibes, dude. It's I all might about watch the vibes it tonight, I'm not going to lie. What? I might watch it tonight. It's, I'm going to out of sight and the stepfather double feature. That would be a peak double feature, dude. <laughs> I mean, the vibes of this. It's A lot of the time with movies like this, it's about the vibes. And the vibes in this are immaculate. Listen to this, listen to this tagline. This fall, daddy's home. <laughs> Just ridiculous. <laughs> it's uh, I four and a half stars. Had a blast with. Hell that. yeah. Um. All right. What about you? Give me. Give yeah. me. Give me. Give me your peak. Yeah. My last uh five movies are three, three five stars and two four and a halfs. I'm gonna skip Just... over one because I watched her and I want to rant about it a little bit. Go ahead. It's the greatest so I'm gonna save that for the ever end. Ever put to cinema. I'm going to save that for the end. I watched The Veilmans again. It's fucking peak. Yep. I watched The Florida Project again. I had seen this when it first came out, and I thought it was fine. I liked it. Mm-hmm. It went up a lot on rewatch. I gave it a four and a half. It's a great coming-of-age story. The performances are amazing. The color palette of this movie is immaculate. Oh, my God. It's so colorful. Oh, I love it. Really, really, really good. Sean Baker is sick i need to watch more of his movies yeah then i watched the hour of the wolf a trey classic ingmar bergman uh yeah this movie is really cool this is bergman's only horror film yeah and you got it's... max von Sydow, who is and amazing. liv allman who is the greatest actress of all time i will stand on that I will stand on that fucking podium. All right, forever. we'll move on. Liv Ullman is just insane. The Hour of Wolf is sick. It's a great psychological horror thriller. Watch it. It's on the Criterion Channel streaming. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, I rented uh, the Florida Project, and the Fablemans is on Crave. And then Spotlight. We already touched on it. Lastly, her. Her is the second greatest love story of all time. Jesse and Celine in the Before Trilogy unfortunately oh yeah i forgot about your addiction to those movies yes uh nothing will beat them her is insane this movie understands love like nothing else it understands that love is those simple moments and the quiet intimate moments that are what count and it's it's just so perfect it's so crazy that it's a movie so was able to develop this level of emotion with a fucking AI that you never even see. Spike Jones. Yeah, Spike Jones of Jackass. <laughs> that was one of Jagger's reviews for this is how did <laughs> Spike Jones go from yeah. Jackass to this? <laughs> also, Spike Jones directed being John Malkovich. Peak as fuck. Adaptation, peak as fuck. Um yeah. Yeah, her her understands love like no other movie I've ever seen, except the before movies where 
it's not this intense big story with lots of big grand moments. It's, mm. you know, walking to the beach and looking at, you know, an I see or singing a little song on the ukulele or it's just, it's, it's so full of love in a, a way that most movies don't show. Yeah. And the performances are insane. Amy Adams is perfect. Shout out Amy Adams. Maybe one of the best actresses of our time. Uh, yes. Very slept on somehow. Yes. Agreed. Joaquin Phoenix is insane in this movie. Also very handsome with a mustache compared to his normal psycho looks. Yeah. <laughs> very, very handsome in this movie. Mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson, what is there to say? She emits yeah, so ne- much emotion in this movie. Like, it's crazy. I never thought that I could be attracted to a voice. Yeah. It's pretty um, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. She, she's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Purse Pratt Sneak, he's, he's fine. Dude, what a delight. He is yeah. a delightful man. I that love scene Chris when Pratt. they're on the beach, the, you know, the double date, it's really entertaining. Chris yeah. Pratt is. He's so funny. Yeah, I love him. Except Jurassic World 2 and 3 suck. Um, the second one isn't the worst. The third one is truly the worst. I haven't Here, seen either Here's of them. the thing. Now that Jagger's <laughs> gone, I can tell you about this. Yeah. This is one of my favorite average film enjoyer moments. My After this episode had come out, my mom told me, she was like, Trey, do you feel like you bully Jagger? And I like, no. <laughs> and then I went back to the episode, and I had yelled and ranted for like three minutes because he had Jurassic World Dominion rated higher than the OG Jurassic Park. Oh my god. And I was That's like, crazy. what? <laughs> it's crazy. That's um, a bully worthy moment. Yeah, her is just, it's a really spectacular movie. It's peak. Um, it's simple but perfect. Yeah, so that's uh, my watch list. Why don't you round it up? I'm going to rattle off my last four since we're coming up on two hours here. Yeah. Um, Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, super overhated. It's uh, the worst Avengers movie, but it's still a four star. Yeah, I need um, to rewatch that. It's a blast. James Spader might be the greatest voice casting in the history okay. of cinema for Ultron. Um, that I watched Contracted to prepare for our interview with Mr. Da- Eric England, not Dave England from Jackass, although that would be cool. Uh, genuinely one of the grossest movies I have ever watched. Uh, like I gagged multiple. I told times. you, yeah, the gore is great. Oh, it's so good. Uh, check that out on on Tubi, uh, the greatest streaming service. Tubi, please sponsor us. Uh, and then I re- last night I rewatched the Wolverine um, to prepare for Logan next week. James Mangold, my, man, what a director! Did he direct the Wolverine too? Yeah. Oh he, shit! I didn't the, know that. This movie definitely has some CGI issues, but it did come out in 2013, um, and you get some dope. Wolverine action fighting scenes. Dude, the trailer uh, for that movie went crazy. It was just like the shot of Wolverine on the train flying down it with the claws dude, out. That scene is so it's sick. So sick. Where he's like, <gasps> yeah. I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah, um, it's awesome. It's really, yeah. really sick. And then Spotlight last night, and I haven't really started anything today. Um, but I don't know what I'm going to watch tonight. I'm going to go eat after this. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and edit. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining us on the average film yeah. enjoyer today. Join us, uh, Friday for, uh, our discussion of Barry Lyndon and Clockwork Orange this weekend <sighs> for our interview with Mr. 
Eric England, where we will talk uh, everything. Um, we'll just kind of see where it goes. And then uh, Tuesday for our discussion of one of the greatest superheroes. Yeah, tune in Tuesday for an insane delay session of Logan. Yes. God oh my damn, God, it's going to be crazy. Just immaculate film. It's so good. I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us today. If you want to find us on our socials, I am Trey the Film Noob everywhere. Evan is Evan0567 on Letterboxd. And if you want to get some merch, go to afepod.com. That is afepod.com. Um, we have a bunch of merch on there to order. Um, and again, thank you for joining us. We wish Jagger the best of luck. If you would like to listen to his podcast, I'm going to put a link to it below in the description. Please follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave us a like. Comment down below. Uh, a director that you stars. would like us to do a director watch through of, or a director deep dive of after we get done with Kubrick. Yeah, next week we're going to post a survey for, we'll either do a, like an entry survey or give us, you know, give you like five <clears throat> directors to choose from type thing. Yeah. Because we want your input, you know. On who we should do next. We love watching movies and we don't, you know, yeah. doubt, and apparently you guys like choose. listening to us talk about movies, which I still can't believe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Thank we'll you for joining us today on the Average Film Drawer, and we will see you on Friday.